Modern life is crazy busy. Power your midlife energy with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. Delicious, keto, and intermittent fasting-friendly. These bars help women manage weight and energy during all stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code KD10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Beauties, we have a great and important show today. We are diving into bone health and osteoporosis and how to keep your bones and body healthy for the long run. And we are doing so with an incredible leader in the bone health world, Dr. Andrea Singer, who is the Chief Medical Officer of the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation and an Associate Professor and Director of Bone Densitometry at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital. Dr. Singer's clinical areas of expertise are women's primary care, osteoporosis, bone densitometry, secondary fracture prevention, menopause, sexual health, and medical and gynecologic disease. If you want to keep your bones and body working through menopause and for the long run, stick around. This show is for you. Welcome, Dr. Singer. Thanks so much. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm very excited. I've had a number of listeners reach out to me to say, when are you going to talk about osteoporosis? I really would love you to focus on bone health. And I am delighted that you are here. Uh, we're recording this show during uh, World Osteoporosis you know, Month, World Menopause Day, all happened in October. Uh, I would love to talk a little bit about the menopause bone health connection. What role, if any, does menopause play in our bone health? Menopause is often the defining event in many ways for osteoporosis or bone health issues in women. And that's because estrogen is good for the bone and it's bone protective, if you will. When a woman goes through menopause and loses the protective effects of estrogen because the ovaries stop producing as much, there's less circulating estrogen, that can cause bone loss. And I think what many people don't know is that in the first five to seven years following menopause, women can lose up to 20% of their bone density. That's so shocking. If already at risk, that may really put them at much higher risk. So 20% is an enormous number. Is, is there uh, an optimal time to be getting a bone density test? Should you do this before menopause? Should you do it in that, that, you know, that seven-year window that you talked about? That's a great question. And I don't know that I have an exceedingly simple answer, but <laughs> the, because there's a little bit of controversy in terms of when bone density tests should be done. All of our guidelines and societies agree that if a woman reaches age 65 and has not yet had a bone density, then she should be tested just based on age alone. For younger postmenopausal women, Generally, we're figuring 50 years of age and up, but it depends on when, re when one reaches menopause because sometimes that's earlier. If someone has one or more additional risk factors, then they should get a bone density test as well. And when we think about the long list of risk factors, many people have something, and I'm happy to further elaborate on some of the common things. So for many women, we do actually get a bone density test somewhere around the time of menopause. And so what are some of the risk factors that we should be thinking about that, that will help us assess at what age we get the, the, this, this important bone density test? The total 
second list of risk factors is probably too long to go through on air, and we can certainly talk about where we can direct people who would like more information. But some of the common things include age. This is a disease of increasing age. Now, aging is better than the alternative, but the older <laughs> one gets, yes. the greater the risk for fracture. The lower the bone density, also the greater the risk for fracture. The single most important risk factor is having had a prior fracture, because once somebody has had one fracture that significantly increases their risk for future fractures. Family history is important, especially history of a hip fracture in mom or dad, but osteoporosis in the family and any fractures should be noted. Smoking, excessive alcohol intake, low vitamin D levels, poor calcium intake, being sedentary or inactive. And then there are a number of other medical conditions or diseases, just as an example, diabetes, which unfortunately is extremely common in the US and worldwide, rheumatoid arthritis, and there are a number of others, as well as other medications that we use to treat other diseases that can be bad for the bone, so to speak. I'm not going to break into song. Um, but can be bad for the bone and um, increase the risk for bone loss as well as fracture. Okay. So lots of things for us to think about. Um, people who are very small framed and of low weight tend to have less dense bones and often reach lower peak bone density. So they may be at increased risk as well. Okay, interesting. And so there's a it's a, a complex interplay of... Um, factors that can you know, determine your, your bone health. So, you know, what exactly is osteoporosis? Is is just that simply bones that are? Can you, what is the medical definition of that term? I was hoping you were going to ask that. I was thinking maybe we ought to back up a little bit and talk about <laughs> what we actually mean. So, osteoporosis literally means porous bone. It's a serious bone disease that occurs when the body either loses too much bone, makes too little bone, or both. And if we look under a microscope, healthy bone looks like a honeycomb. When osteoporosis occurs, the holes and the spaces in the honeycomb are much larger or more numerous than in healthy bone. So the bones lose density or mass, and the tissue structure becomes abnormal. Bones become less dense, more fragile, and as they become more fragile, they're more likely to break. Okay. And so is this something that's inevitable? I know you outlined some of the risk factors. So for a listener who's thinking, you know, I'm not, you know, a, I'm not a, a big drinker and I never smoked and I don't have a family history of this, you know, have they skated through or um, is, is osteoporosis inevitable as we age? Osteoporosis and having fractures are not inevitable. Some amount of bone loss may to a degree be somewhat inevitable as we get older, because we've talked about the importance of increasing age and obviously spending a longer period of time in the postmenopausal state without the protective effects of estrogen, but not everybody gets osteoporosis and waiting for that to happen and expecting that at some point somebody might break something or break a hip, that's not normal. And that should not be a normal or inevitable expectation. Okay, great. This is a disease that we can diagnose, 
we can try to prevent with preventive strategies. And if somebody does develop it, we can treat to reduce the risk for fractures. The, the unfortunate thing is that it is an underdiagnosed and undertreated disease, uh, and it doesn't need to be. Okay, that's well. This is why we're exactly why we're having this conversation. Women need to have this on their radar. They need to ask themselves: Do I have any of the risk factors that we've just outlined? You know, I should be talking to my medical provider uh, about how to, um, you know, assess my bone health and and you know how to incorporate some of these preventative strategies that I want to explore with you next. I'm curious. Does hormone replacement therapy, is that one of the preventative strategies? You know, does adding estrogen through hormone replacement therapy help our bones? The simple answer to that is yes, if I had to give a one-word answer. It's obviously a little bit more complicated than that because when we talk about any medication, but using estrogen, using hormones as well, we certainly have to balance the upside, the pros, the potential cons. Uh, and the sort of benefit risk ratio in terms of other effects that estrogen might have on different systems in the body. But from a bone health perspective, if losing estrogen is bad for the bone, then replacing it um, potentially is helpful. And indeed, we know from studies like the Women's Health Initiative that from a bone health perspective, uh, there was a decreased rate of fracture in the women in that study who are on estrogen, both in the estrogen-only arm as well as in the combined estrogen-progestin arm. Uh, we also know that the amount of bone density that one might preserve or potentially build is also related to the dose of estrogen. So lots of different nuances, but in younger women who may be at risk, the use of hormones can certainly be a very good option to help prevent that rapid loss that comes at the time of menopause. One caveat, yes. if or when somebody stops using hormones later on, one will then get the rapid loss that one would have gotten around the time of menopause. But you might have delayed that by five years, seven years, 10 years, however long somebody is on hormones and sort of waited until a time based on age when they're at higher risk and then think about therapies that might follow. Okay, this is fantastic advice. So for listeners who've had early menopause, either by hereditary or perhaps have gone into surgical menopause because of, um, you know, cancer treatments or other health, um, other health factors, this is definitely something that you should be talking about with your medical provider. We're taking a quick break, but when we come back, Dr. Singer, I want to ask you about some other preventative strategies beyond HRT. Have you ever successfully set someone up on a date? In my 53 years, I've only ever made one successful match for a friend, which is why I'm so eager to introduce you to the nonprofit Let's Talk Menopause, because I know this is a relationship that's going to work. Let's Talk Menopause is changing the conversation around menopause so women get the information they need and the healthcare they deserve. Understanding menopause is a lot like solving a tough jigsaw puzzle, as there are so many pieces. Menopause can have over 34 symptoms, insomnia, joint pain, low libido, difficulty sleeping, irritability, mood swings, fatigue, brain fog, painful sex, urinary leaks. It is a long list. Visit their website, letstalkmenopause.org, to find all the tools you need. 
the 101s to understanding the physical and mental menopausal changes, information about their public ad campaigns and advocacy work, a downloadable symptoms checklist to share with your doctor, and so much more. Visit letstalkmenopause.org. Together, we can change the change. Okay, Andrea, we're back from the break. We talked about how hormone replacement therapy could be potentially an option uh, for, for women to protect their bone health. What are some other preventative strategies that you want women to have on their radar? Before I answer that, I just want to add something to what you mentioned uh, before the break. The woman who reaches an early menopause, what we might call a premature menopause, which is usually under the age of 45, or has primary ovarian insufficiency where they reach menopause in their 30s, or as you said, has surgically induced menopause. In those women, if there's no contraindication to using estrogen, they should seriously consider and be treated with estrogen at least until the natural age of menopause. Because if not, we are putting them at risk for starting uh, to experience significant bone loss at a very early age. So they're a different group of women than the group that goes through menopause. The, the you know average age of menopause in the U.S. is about 51 and a half years. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, that's an other, important clarification. Yeah. Thank you. Other preventive strategies, uh, all the things that we as clinicians always hammer our patients about, right? So healthy, well-balanced diet, in particular, when it comes to bone health, making sure that people are getting in adequate calcium, preferably through dietary sources, but sometimes we use supplements to make up the shortfall if somebody can't get enough calcium in through the diet. And what's adequate calcium? How do we define that? Yeah, for women 50 years of age or older, it's a total of 1,200 milligrams of calcium daily, not all taken at once, so in divided doses, and that's from all sources dietary sources, as well as any supplements. Great. Adequate vitamin D is also important. That's, I feel like I'm opening Pandora's box because there's a little bit of controversy but with some newer publications. But if we're talking about somebody who is at risk for fracture or has osteoporosis, the recent studies that looked at giving everybody vitamin D looked at a general healthy population mostly without bone disease. And so we need to make that distinction. What's the Pandora's box that you refer to? So some people should not be taking vitamin D, is that? No, the vital trial, which looked at tens of thousands of healthy individuals and looked at giving supplemental vitamin D to people who, whose vitamin D levels were largely normal and who didn't have underlying bone disease. If somebody already has a normal vitamin D level, giving them more doesn't necessarily make a difference. But for somebody who's vitamin D deficient or at risk, that could be the elderly who don't get outside in the sun. That could be people who are darker skinned, who don't make as much vitamin D based on uh, UV you know, ray absorption through their skin. It can be people who have um, malabsorption or gastrointestinal issues where they may not absorb fat-soluble vitamins or have had bariatric surgery. It can be those who are uh, obese. There are a number of people who may be at risk. Those people and people who have known osteoporosis or have already had fractures 
are a different group. And I don't think we can extrapolate or carry over the data from the vital trial to this other group of individuals who are different. That, yeah, that makes total sense. Dr. Singer, for people who are thinking, you know, um, I have not been to the doctor lately and I really, because you know, I know this, I know this from women in my life and friends and I, I don't want to throw my hun- my husband under the bus, but he's like not <laughs> great about getting to the doctor. So Mike, if you're listening, schedule that, you know, that checkup. If people are thinking, how do I know if my vitamin D and calcium levels are appropriate? You know, would you, you know, push them to make an an appointment with their provider to get all these levels checked? How does one learn this? One doesn't necessarily need levels checked. There are certain circumstances in which we do check vitamin D levels, again, largely in the group that I mentioned who are at risk. But I think people should make appointments with their healthcare providers and talk about their overall bone health. If a provider doesn't bring up the topic, then women and men too, but I know we're mainly talking about women, Um, but just so your husband can be proactive too. (laughs) Women women need to be Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for pushing him, Andrea. I appreciate it. (laughs) I'm I'm an internist. I see both men and women, so I get it. Um, Women need to be proactive about their bone health and take charge of their bone health. And it's fair to ask at a visit, can we discuss risk factors I might have Uh, for osteoporosis or something that might put me at risk for bone loss and fracture to ask, do I need a bone density test? Do I need any other testing based on my individual characteristics or risk factors or medical problems that would help us better assess my risk? And so I think there isn't one size that fits all, but the idea of everybody at least having a conversation to figure out what the most appropriate approach is for them does fit all. That makes total sense. So this is um, sort of sparked a question for me. You know, my listeners on this show really range in age from 45 to 65 plus. Um, Do these bone health recommendations change as we age In, in a healthy population? I understand that if people went into premature menopause, you're in a different sort of bucket. But if you're moving forward, if you've had, you know, decent vitamin D levels, you're in generally good health. You know, at age 53, do I need to be doing different things than I would be, say, at 63? The basic tenets are very similar. Healthy diet, as we talked about, adequate calcium and vitamin D, adequate protein. uh, And that is something, protein's important to keep muscles strong. If muscles are weak and people become more frail, they're more likely to fall. And a fall is often the precipitating event for a fracture. We know that fall risk goes up as people age. And each year, about a third of people over the age of 65 will fall. Uh, As people age, their diets don't always have adequate protein in them. So that may be something, it's important at all stages, but might be something to focus on as we get older. The exercise aspects from a prevention standpoint, weight-bearing, muscle strengthening, resistance exercises, activities where you move your body, a weight, or something else, uh, some other resistance against gravity is important. Balance exercises, especially as we get older. Again, the whole idea of preventing falls. So the basic tenets are the same. Some of what we employ or the importance of pieces of it may become a little bit more prominent as we get older. 
Gotcha. And so I had always heard that um, uh, sort of the exercises where you're doing like not I don't want to say pounding your bones, but when you're maybe hopping around a tennis court or you're walking briskly and your heels and bones are hitting surfaces, that that is good for your bones. Is this true? Yeah, weight bearing exercise and some of the things that you have mentioned, certainly, and some of what you talked about are a little higher impact. So there are different varying degrees of impact, but that helps to stimulate bone remodeling. So exercise in those forms is good. What we have to balance that against, and there are different exercise recommendations in terms of if we're talking to somebody who is healthy, hasn't ever had a fracture, is not at increased risk for falls, versus the person who may have significant osteoporosis with very low bone density, has already had fractures or broken bones, or maybe at increased risk for falls, we might choose different types and different intensity of exercise so that we're not increasing the likelihood that somebody might fall while they're doing exercise, or particularly in the patient or person who's had a history of spine fractures, we have to be careful with some of the load on the spine and exercises that can increase load on the spine that might increase their risk for fracture. So you're absolutely right. It's again, individualization of an exercise program based on the person sitting in front of you. And so if somebody has had the uh, challenges that you've outlined, fractures, um, you know, uh, you know, they do have this, you know, more porous and brittle bones, is it possible to reverse that with medicine and exercise? What are, we talked a little bit about preventative strategies. What might be treatment strategies that you recommend? Never too late to diagnose or to treat osteoporosis. That's great to hear. Yeah, which absolutely. Now, you know, the more bone loss there is, the more damage that has been done. Uh, We don't necessarily get somebody back to where they started, obviously, but there are always things that we can do to reduce risk. I think what people have to understand is osteoporosis is a chronic disease, just like other chronic diseases that we're familiar with diabetes, high blood pressure, high cholesterol. We can treat them effectively. We can reduce risk for complications and events, but we don't generally cure them. And the same is true with osteoporosis. So if somebody has osteoporosis or has broken bones, we are talking about the need for long-term or lifelong management. Management can look like different things over time and may very well change over time. But it's not as though we're going to treat somebody for a year and say, it's been nice knowing you. We never need to do anything again. Right. We, that, fi- we fixed it. You're work. done. Yeah. <laughs> right. So all of the things that we've been talking about, those so-called preventive strategies, are all, remain important and are always part of the treatment plan, right? The diet, calcium, vitamin D, uh, exercise, avoiding things that are bad for the bone, like smoking and alcohol, et cetera. But in the patients who are at high or at the highest risk for fractures, because that's ultimately what we're trying to prevent, fractures, broken bones, they mean the same thing. People sometimes use the terms differently, can be life-altering events. That's where medications and prescription medications come into play and can be very important in terms of improving bone density, most importantly, reducing the risk for fracture, 
and hopefully preventing some of those life-altering events. Yeah, so preventing these life-altering events is obviously something that everyone who's listening to the show is focused on. We are living longer, fitter, healthier than ever. We want to make sure that our bones keep up with us. So for listeners who are thinking, I want to stay on top of this, I want to be ahead of this, where might you direct them to for resources where they can learn more about bone health, perhaps where they could learn more about nutrition and exercise that helps, or to find a provider that might help guide them? I think a valuable resource is the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation. The website is all one word, bonehealthandosteoporosis.org. On the website, under the patient section, there is all kinds of information about much of what we have discussed, the consequences of fracture, and there are links to calcium calculators, for instance, and other dietary sources and recipes and other sites that speak to exercise, including bone fit. So I think it's a good place to start. And then you can link to other resources as well. And it sounds like a wonderful resource. I had no idea you could look at a calcium calculator. I'm curious about that myself. I love the idea of finding some bone health recipes that I might start incorporating. Does this website also provide providers in different states for listeners who are thinking, I want to work with a specialist? There is a list of members and providers. We are actually revamping that to make that more robust. Uh, and to include others across different states. But it's certainly a place to start in terms of looking for those who may specialize or have a special interest in treating bone health. Fantastic. It's so great to have that as a resource. Thank you for sharing that. Um, Dr. Singer, I know that you you know, you know, write uh, on and talk about osteoporosis frequently. This is just a big part of your medical practice. Uh, in doing my, my pre-dive uh, into Google to learn more about you, I see that you've shared a lot of information about how you've been helping your own mother juggle um, her osteoporosis care. And this caught my eye because I, you know, we're part of a sandwich generation. We have uh, maybe adult or young adult children that we're helping, but we are also helping our parents navigate their own health care. Um, how can we help our parents when they are navigating bone health challenges? What have you learned uh, on your own, with your own experience? Yeah, I often joke about this. It's sort of like the shoemaker's child who has no shoes. It's the osteoporosis or bone health expert's mother who not only has osteoporosis, but then has a spine or vertebral fracture, uh, probably sustained at my house, helping me with one holiday in terms of preparation and doing more than she should have. So um, I, I often say that osteoporosis is a family affair. Fractures certainly are, because not only do they affect the patient, but they affect those who help to provide care, want to make sure that their parents remain safe, don't have additional fractures in the acute setting. And thankfully, my mother is uh, very independent still. There weren't significant limitations following the fracture, although she had pain. But for many who have fractures, even completing normal activities of daily living or being able to drive and get themselves to appointments becomes difficult, if not impossible. And so the time that it might require family members to take off from work, to help take care of a loved one, or to get them to their appointments, or to take them to physical therapy, this really becomes a family issue. 
Absolutely. For those of us, yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I mean, everything that you just outlined, you know, the, the, the way that it impacts uh, the caregivers and the people around them, too. And, you know, with your mother, you learn maybe this the hard way when she had this fracture in her spine. If someone's thinking, my parents aren't there yet, but I'm worried, you know, what would you encourage them to do to get their, their parents on sort of these preventative strategies? And that's where I was actually just going oh, to perfect. go or, or segue <laughs> to. So that was perfect. I think if a parent isn't taking the initiative themselves to speak with their healthcare providers about bone health, or if they have not yet had a bone density, that might be the first thing that we do or encourage them to ask about or to get so that we have an assessment of the status of their bones. But it's more than just bone density. That's a very important piece of things. It's also having somebody take an overall look at their clinical risk factors, because there are many ways to both identify people who are at risk. Obviously, the more clinical risk factors one has, the greater the risk. And also to help decide when somebody might need testing and or intervention. So bringing the topic up, going with them to a visit or encouraging them to discuss bone health with their providers, and then talking about all of the preventive strategies we've talked about. Or if you live nearby your parent, going over and saying, let's go out for a walk together. Or let's look at healthy ways to incorporate calcium into the diet together. So we think about that mother-daughter, mother-daughter, perhaps granddaughter relationship. That doesn't mean bone health is not important in grandsons or sons. But again, just thinking about those alliances and where we can all help to take care of each other and raise awareness. Well, those are wonderful recommendations, and and uh, as a as a New Yorker, my my, my um, you know I was raised walking sidewalks. My parents are still both really active walkers, um, and so I know they're taking care of their bones in that way. But you know, I've never, even though I talk to them every week, I've never thought to ask them, you know, hey, have you had a bone density test? You know, are you is this something that's on your radar? So I thank you for that suggestion. I will certainly have because that's a very innocuous and easy thing to ask. You know, sometimes I think it's also a very easy thing to do. I mean, a bone density test done by DEXA scanning or central DEXA scan takes about 20 minutes. It's non-invasive. If you don't have any metal in your clothes, zippers, snaps, you don't even necessarily have to get undressed. It is exceedingly low risk and gives us a wealth of information in terms of helping to evaluate risk status. Yeah, I did my own at at age 50, and I agree. It was simple and easy to do. I was in and out. All you do is pull down your pants from one hip, and they, you know, they, they, um, the machine takes sort of, I guess, a picture through your hip. It was absolutely easy to do. It's not like the colonoscopy, which everyone fears, which, by the way, everyone should put on their list, too, after a certain age. Uh, because I yes, very I'm, different. They're very right. different. And this is not remotely scary. And it was super easy to do. And I was relieved to, uh, to discover, you know, that my, my bones are in good shape. You know, at least they were when I did this two years ago. So put this on your list, listeners, if you haven't done it yet. Uh, Dr. Singer, we're we're nearing the end of our show. We're going to head into a quick speed round because I can always spend more time with my guests than we have uh, allotted for the show. And this is very simple, just one to two word answers to some questions so we can close on a high energy note. So um, the first question is best exercise for bone health. Let's go with walking. 
Nice. This bone health food is always in my shopping cart. Yogurt. An under-the-radar food for bone health. Kale and other leafy greens. Yes, I love spinach. It, it took me about 40 years, but I, I adore dark leafy greens. Um, okay, best vitamins for bone health. Calcium and vitamin D. Surprise. This symptom of osteoporosis uh, that you may not know about is? Height loss. Height loss. Ooh, okay. That one does sound... Uh, Got to pay attention to that. Um, worried about your bones? Avoid this one thing. Smoking. If I could wave a magic wand, all women would do this to take care of their bones. Get a bone density test. Perfect. What a great note to end on. Thank you, Dr. Singer. Before we say goodbye, how can our listeners find you, your work, and learn more about the Bone Health and Osteoporosis Foundation? Again, the website bonehealthandosteoporosis.org is probably the best way to access all of those things. Uh, I also can be found on the website at MedStar Georgetown University Hospital in the departments of medicine and obstetrics and gynecology. Fantastic. I will put all of those in the show notes. Listeners can find those over on a certainagepod.com. Thank you, Dr. Singer. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. Join me next week when I sit down with fitness leader Liz Hilliard to talk about midlife epiphanies and following your heart. Liz was married for 37 years and at 64 realized she was in love with her best friend. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.